Let's pray before we begin. Father, as we enter the Gospel of John once again, may we hear the tone of our Savior uh, speak true to us, uh, that he doesn't want our hearts to be troubled. He doesn't want our hearts to stay in moments of fear and anxiety, but rather have freedom and peace in the name of Jesus. So may we come with that posture this morning. May we praise you for how you are at work and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Peace. What do you think of when I say that word? Peace. Perhaps in a comical way, you may think of peace like this. In one Peanuts cartoon, Lucy says this to Charlie Brown. I hate everything. I hate everybody. I hate the whole wide world. Charlie Brown replies, but I thought, Lucy, you had inner peace. Lucy replies, I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. You see, peace, in a sense, reminds us of the lack of peace that this world has, and perhaps in many ways, even the peace that is lacking in our own hearts. This inner restlessness of our hearts in our daily lives. Today we get the chance to enter John 14 once again, and we've been doing this for the past few weeks, our summer series in John 14 to 17. Jesus in the upper room to his disciples. Hours and moments before Jesus was crucified at this point, Jesus was concerned for his present disciples and for his future ones. He was concerned for all that would believe in his name, for their peace and joy. How amazing is that fact? This reveals the character of Jesus, that he chose in the hours before he left to not go away and pout, but rather to continue to pour into these men, who would be the men who would start the early church and spread the gospel to the nations. Without Jesus pouring into these men, who knows where we would be today? Last week, we almost got to the end of the first chapter, John 14, an incredible chapter. Today, we're going to be in verses 27 to 31. But before we get into that, I want to have a little review of last week, in which we saw Jesus mention this helper, this helper called the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Truth who would come after him to dwell in and through the people of God. Here's the main thing that Jesus repeated last week, if you remember. This phrase, If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. This phrase from Jesus at first glance almost seems unloving, almost demanding, and yet When we looked deeper last week, we found something incredible. We found out that it isn't a condition of God loving us, or in other ways, we are not saved by any sort of love we give God, but rather what happens when God loves us and we love him after. It's a result of following Jesus. Exactly as 1 John 4.19 says, We love because what? 
because he first loved us. The result of loving Jesus is that we obey him. Remember, if you love me, keep my commands. That we obey him. It's this joyful outpouring, a joyful response. And it's also joyful because Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit to help us obey him, to teach us all things, and to bring to remembrance all that Jesus has said to us because we are often so forgetful. For the past two weeks, we've seen glimpses into our Trinitarian God, that to know the Father is to know the Son, and to know the Son means we will receive the Holy Spirit. This morning, as you can see from the sermon titled, The Peace of Jesus, this morning we get to think about peace, but not just any peace, the peace of Jesus. This peace relates right back to what we heard last week. In fact, here's an illustration that helps bring these two together, the obedience of Jesus and the peace of Jesus, obeying Jesus and having his peace. Here's the story. Thousands of people each year visit the Winchester Mansion in San Jose, California. This massive structure was built by Sarah Winchester, who's the widow of the gun company owner in the States. For 38 years, from 1884 until 1922, when she died, this house was under construction. Carpenters, masons, and other workers were employed around the clock. Stories have been told about the reason for this unusual practice. Most of the stories center on Mrs. Winchester's belief that she either was haunted or would be haunted by the ghosts of those killed by her husband's weapons, unless she kept building this house. Others claim that she thought she would not die as long as the building continued. Whatever the reason may be, she continued ordering more renovations and construction as long as she lived. There are more than 10,000 windows in this mansion, doorways and stairs that lead to blank walls, and some 160 rooms in total. It's actually estimated that she spent more than $70 million in today's money on largely pointless construction, all in this desperate search for peace that was ultimately doomed to fail. See, today, many people are seeking peace through equally fruitful means. Many people turn to pleasure, drugs, alcohol, finding ways to be immortal, to have wealth, and other dead-end avenues. Like the staircases in this story that lead nowhere in what is called the Winchester Mansion, pursuing such paths will never bring peace. Instead, we find peace when we follow the path that God has given us in his word. Those who keep the commandments in their hearts and obey it in their actions add peace, the peace of Jesus to their lives. Rather than seeking peace as an end, we ought to follow Jesus who gives us his peace. You see, obeying Jesus is in direct relation to seeing and hearing and knowing the peace of Jesus. But what is this peace of Jesus? What does it mean? With this in mind, let's enter John 14, 27 to 31, the last part of John 14 this morning. 
ending it this morning. First, verse 27 says these words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There are three main reasons to not worry in this text this morning. And we get to them, and when we get to them, I want to acknowledge something very real to all of us. This very real thing that we all experience is fear. Before we acknowledge anything about not being afraid, we need to understand that fear is a very human thing. From our first parents in Genesis chapter 3, as they were afraid that God would find them, fear has been a very real part of all of our lives. For myself, there have been very real times when I've been fearful. And for the world today, even our church, our community, although COVID-19 is a very real pandemic, many of the actions and words that have been said have come out of fear. Even many of the restrictions have come out of fear. Many of you know my sister who was in the hospital a while back. She knew this. She told me of a story when she was in the hospital. She saw fear in the nurses and the women around her as news was delivered at that time a few months ago that no visitors would be allowed in the hospital anymore. Security had to take crying husbands out of the hospital as their pregnant wives were there. Fear for others now after months of a pandemic comes in the fear for many people in their finances. After losing jobs, worries start to creep up. As parents, we often fear for our children. And if you're a child that still lives at home right now and you're listening to this, you have your own worries. Fear about tests and perhaps the future perhaps about relationships you have right now. Fear is a very real and human emotion. One story about fear goes like this. Five-year-old Johnny was in the kitchen as his mother made supper. The mom asked Johnny to go into the pantry and ask for, and get a can of tomato soup. But he didn't want to go there alone. He said, it's dark in there and I'm scared. The mom asked again, and he persisted. Finally, she said these words, It's okay. Jesus will be there with you. Johnny started to walk to the pantry, to the door, and he slowly opened it. He peeked inside, saw that it was dark, and started to leave when an idea came to his mind. He said this before he left the pantry. Jesus, if you're in there, would you hand me that can of tomato soup? You see, although fear is a very real emotion, it's also important to acknowledge that as the church, fear and faith in many ways are not compatible. To believe that God is in control and yet fear that he's not in control in many ways is not compatible, and yet we do this. And so we must fight together as the body of Christ. Fight as Christians to not simply not fear, but to rely on the Holy Spirit to remind us of the words of Jesus right here. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not only has Jesus said this morning that he will leave peace with us, 
It's actually the peace of Jesus. Jesus' peace that he gives us. Not the kind of temporary, finite peace the world offers, but peace from Jesus that helps us recognize that our hearts don't have to be troubled, as he says once again in this passage. Now, peace from the world is different. How do I know? Well, just go on Google and ask, how do you get peace? Here's what happens when you search for that on Google. One website that I went to. Here's some suggestions. How to find peace in anxious times. Number one, learn to trust yourself. Number two, focus on what you're learning. Number three, ease your expectations. Number four, open up to someone you trust. Number five, use hope to drive positive action. The next one, move towards something instead of away. Another one, take a few steps back. And the last one, give yourself time. Give yourself time. You see, although these things seem good, the ultimate problem in these is that they are still trusting in ourselves or another person for the answer to our peace issue. These may all seem like good things, but when putting them up against the word of God, they all fall incredibly short. Colossians 3.15 says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace in the Bible is something that only comes from God. And this peace is supposed to rule in our hearts in all that we do. In Christ, Jesus says that we are not only called to not have our hearts be troubled, but also that they don't need to be afraid. This is the first reason and the first point that tells of the peace of Jesus. The reason that we don't have to be troubled is because of the peace of Jesus. For this peace of Jesus reminds us that Jesus died for us, that he lived to die. And the peace of Jesus reminds us that Jesus actually defeated death on the cross. That our greatest trial and enemy called death is defeated. And therefore, whatever happens, we don't have to worry. Death is defeated. And therefore, the body of Christ doesn't have to worry. We don't trust in ourselves or any person around us on this earth to solve our peace issue. Jesus has already done it. The peace of Jesus is also not just simply a peace that gives us stillness or quiet. The peace of Jesus is one that reconciles sinners, all of us, to our holy God. And once this happens, it is eternal, one that is held on to fast by God himself. And verse 18, next verse, says, You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Jesus was leaving from the disciples. This was something that 
they've already heard and know. And for us today, Jesus is gone, at least in the same sense that the disciples experienced. He's not here physically with us. He no longer walks in a way in which we can go down the street and ask him questions. But this isn't something for us to complain about. And yet sometimes we do complain about this. Sometimes we say to ourselves or other believers, Oh, if only Jesus were here right now, then everything would be better. But Jesus says something here that gives us more comfort and even to the disciples of that day. He says he's leaving, but not to go to just a simple location. He is going to the Father. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 tells us exactly why this should bring us comfort says these words, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because Jesus is with the Father and not still here, we have Jesus, the God-man in heaven, interceding for us. That is, for all who trust in Jesus, we have his righteousness. And as one who has walked on the same earth, He knows what we're dealing with. Because Jesus is with the Father, we don't have to be troubled. He's our great high priest, and since he is there, we approach that throne, a throne of grace, as Hebrews calls it, to find mercy and grace in our time of need, which perhaps for you right now is right now. Jesus also mentions something interesting that I don't want to spend too much time on, but it's there, so I should mention it. He says, the Father is greater than I. The Father is greater than I. At first glance, this seems very strange. As we've learned the past couple weeks, that each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are equally God and equally divine. Yes, they have different roles. However, does this mean that the Father has a greater role than Jesus? I don't think so in this passage. I believe what Jesus means here is that because the Father is in heaven at that point right now, he is greater in that sense. That it is to be greater greater in heaven than on earth. That Jesus, the Son of God, has come to suffer. The Father is in heaven, not suffering, and therefore he is greater at that moment. To be in heaven is greater than to be on earth. Verses 29 to 31 give us our third rock-solid reason to not be troubled. Jesus says these words, I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. 
Come now, let us leave. Jesus here is saying all of these things again so that we may believe. That we may believe and take Jesus at his word and have life in his name. Then he says something here that we sometimes forget. Jesus mentions the ruler of this world. That is Satan. That's how he's mentioned throughout the Bible. That Satan is one who has no claim on me, on Jesus. This is important to know for a few reasons. Number one, Jesus went to the cross and died a gruesome death because he was obeying the Father. As he says, I do as the Father has commanded me. He didn't go because he was dragged along by the power of Satan. Jesus commanded, or the Father commanded Jesus to go to the cross because he wants the world to see simply how much he loves the Father. Number two, we need to know this because sometimes I think we believe that Satan has more power than he actually does. Sometimes we look at things like a pandemic that we're in right now and think that Satan is doing things while God is in heaven simply in confusion and panic. If you're familiar with the book of Job, that book tells a completely different story about God and Satan. This incredible story of this character named Job reveals that Satan went to God for permission to do something to a righteous character like Job. It is God who is sovereign of all things and over all things, willing all things for the good of his people. Not simply willing good into things, but willing all things for good. This is the third and final reason that we don't have to worry. Satan has no power over Jesus, and therefore we can trust Jesus and take him at his word. Here are the three reasons for you to remember and write down why we don't have to worry. Number one, the peace of Jesus. Not the world's peace, but the peace of Jesus. Completely different than the world's peace. One is transformative. The other one is stagnant. Number two, Jesus is not gone. He is with the Father. He is interceding for us, the God-man in heaven. Don't complain that Jesus isn't here right now. He is doing so much for you right now. Number three, Jesus is in power over Satan, the ruler of the world. Jesus is the ultimate king and ruler, sovereign over all the one whom all things were created through and for, as the Bible tells us. So as we close this morning, what are we going to do about this? John 14 is done now, but our lives continue in very much the same way. Although things are opening up, and soon we will meet again in person, many of us and people we know today are still living in fear. What will we do as the church? I think our call is pretty clear. Believe and not let your hearts be troubled and share that message that we have learned through God's word to everyone we know. The reasons go on and on for this, for our troubled hearts to not be troubled anymore. Our message is done this morning, but our calling is not. Lean on Christ, believe in Christ, and do not be afraid. Let's pray. Father, the words of Jesus 
Um, I pray those words of Jesus would uh, go right to our hearts, that they wouldn't just simply be words that we glance over, but that these words um, transform us. I pray that this peace of Jesus, this peace of God that Paul talks about later in Philippians that transcends all understanding uh, will be even greater and more visible for us this week, that we would see it in such a way that uh, would make us respond in more praise to you, our good God. Father, we thank you for who you are and thank you for this morning that we can gather and sing and that we can gather and hear the word. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.